Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are I really feel God has given us something here, and let me be clear on this. It's, it's so much that I don't think we're going to unpack it all today. I think for the next two to three weeks, we'll probably continue to, uh, to discuss some of these things that we're going to start introducing here today. I want to kind of give, get through some introduction stuff here, and I want to ask a question. I always feel like a question is good to start off. I feel like Jesus' great way of teaching was, let's start off by asking a question, amen? And I think he just had a, a special way of doing that. When he wanted to teach something, but the best way to teach something is, well, let me have your mind, let me wrap your mind around this thought, or let me at least have you start thinking as we, uh, as we go through this. And Jesus had a great way of, of doing that. So the question that I want to ask um, you is, is, is this. Have you ever been handed something, right? Has something ever been given to you, and you just don't know what to do with it? Has that ever happened to anyone here? Something's been handed to you, and you just don't know uh, what to do with it. For some of us, we can even know what it's for. We may know what's, what it's for, but you don't really know how to use it. I'll give you some examples of, of, of who I am. Maybe you don't know how to use it at all, but, uh, or maybe you do know it, specifically how to use it. You do know how to use it, but you don't use it uh, to the best of its ability. You're like, I know what this is. I know what this is for. Uh, I, I just struggle with using it properly. And um, it's almost like someone that spends a lot of money on a camera. And then a, a photographer comes in and is like, what do you do with your camera? They're like, I don't know. I just press the button. I just like, no, there's filters and there's lens and there's depths and I don't know the, the lingo. And then you're like, whoa, my camera does all that? They, they know what it's for, but they don't know that there's a greater ability with that which is in their hands. What I'm, what I'm asking you is, has something been handed to you and maybe you just haven't been able to use it to the fullness of its ability? Maybe you don't even know really how to use this. Um, you know, I am known to, um, a few, for a few things, I, I, it is said of me that when I grab a paintbrush, though I am a son of a painter, and when I grab a paintbrush and I start to paint a wall, that you have to come right after me and repaint, paint over where I painted because I know what the brush is for, but I just don't know how to use it. And I'll leave streaks and I guess blotches, if it's what it's called or whatnot, to the point that Someone who I love dearly when we were painting a house one day said, it's better if you just stop painting and you pass the brush and just don't paint anymore. I know what it's for. It's to paint. I just didn't know how to use it or the ability in which I could use it. My wife doesn't trust me. Any, any other, I'm sorry. I'm going to be very transparent today. And um, I don't care like, if you think of me any less. Like, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, like, I'm pretty sure already of who I am, so I'm really free in talking about myself. So check this out. Like, my wife doesn't like for me to like, hang up things at the house. She just doesn't trust me with a hammer and a nail and with the straightness of the frame. She's just like, I'll do it. Just you tell me if it's straight. She does it. She's the one with the hammer and the nails at the house. And I'm in the background saying, looks good. And she just, <laughs> maybe you feel it should be the opposite way. It's just, it's pray for her. It's not my fault. <laughs> but, but seriously, have you ever, <laughs> hallelujah. Have you ever been handed something, you just don't know what to do with it, or maybe you do know what to do with it, you just don't use it to the best of your ability. How many of you could relate to something like that, right? 
for sure. In Matthew chapter 25, you don't have to turn there, but it's a story that you know of. It's a parable of the talents, and if you don't know it, it's a good, it's, this is good for you to write down in your notes to go back home and study it. But the parable of the talents is, is actually a very important uh, passage in which Jesus gets into because he's illustrating what the kingdom of heaven is like. Anytime Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's good to, to listen to what he's trying to say because he's talking about home. I love to listen to the kingdom of heaven is like because he's talking about my home, and I want to hear what he's saying about home. Because the more I know about home, the happier I get. Um, so, so it's a parable, uh, and Jesus is illustrating the kingdom of heaven. It's like, and he says it's like a man that is traveling to a far country. And what does he do? As he travels to a far country, he's entrusting his servants with his property. And that's what he's doing. He's leaving them in charge of his property. So what he does is, to one servant, he gives five talents. To another servant, he gives two talents. And to the third servant, he gives one talent. We've preached this here. How many of you have heard of this story? You've read upon it and so on and so forth, okay? So he gives these talents to these individuals. You know, sometimes in Matthew 25, we read the, 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 this passage of the parable of the talents. And we, we treat it as if it's $5, $2, and $1. So the five talent guy made it into like 10 and then the, the two talent guy made it into like four and then the one talent man didn't do anything with it. And we treat it as if it's $5, $2 and if it's $1. But I want you to know and consider that one talent in today's day, you're looking about at about $1.4 million. So when the man gives, I mean, he's entrusting them with, the, the one with one talent with at least $1.4 million. So imagine what the fifth uh, ta- the man with five talents, what that's worth, right? I think if my math is right, it's about $8 million or something like that. So this wasn't like a joke. He gave one $8 million, and the least of them, he gave $1.4 million. Okay, so it wasn't $5, $2, or $1. Uh, so so when, when, we're, when we're talking about something like this, let me ask again. Have you ever been handed something and you just don't know what to do with it? You're like, give me $8 million. I don't know exactly what to do with it. Give me the one talent. I'm cool with that. Give me $1.4 million. And I, but if you study and you see people that win the lotto and they don't know, and they don't, they're, they're, they don't know how to structure, they don't know how to balance, they don't know how to live their lives, they, they, they don't know how to budget, you'll see that in a couple of years they lose all their money. And they, and they wait. How would you lose all those millions? Because, because money is not the answer to your problems. They needed to bring order into their lives so that the money could become a blessing. But instead, it became a curse because now since they didn't use it properly, now they're in major debt. They, pay, they bought helicopters and planes and homes and cars, and now they can't pay, even pay the insurance. I mean, this is just the reality of it, okay? So, so have you ever been handed something and just don't know what to do with it? You know how to use it even, but you don't know how to use it to the best of its ability. And this man here, he's traveling. It doesn't, he doesn't just give his servants uh, this as a gift. Uh, it's a, not a gift to waste it. It's not a gift so you can waste it upon yourself. Think about Matthew 25, the parable of the, uh, of the, with this man and the talents. It's a gift that is given specifically to multiply it and to grow it. Do you understand that? I'm trusting you with my property. I'm trusting you with my $1.4 million. I'm trusting you with my $8 million. He must have seen something in the man with $8 million. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever thought about this? He gave the man with one talent $1.4 million. He gave the other man $8 million. Why do you think he did not give this man the $8 million? He said, I'll give him the least of it because I know he, he might not do much with it. And the one <laughs> that, he, that he thought that he gave the least to didn't do much with it. He didn't do actually anything with it. 
It was to multiply and it was to grow it. The man entrusted his servants that if I give you, listen to this, if I give you something, the requirement is this, that you do something positive with it. Are you with me? Guys, is this just a story about a man that is traveling to a far country on vacation is entrusting three servants upon his property and with millions of dollars? Is this just a story? No, it is a parable that the kingdom of heaven is like. This is not just a story. Jesus is like, I'm going to teach you guys something. There was a man who was trapped. No, no, no. It was not, a, it was not just a lesson. It was, a, it was an illustration of what the heart of heaven is like. So it means something, and it's a requirement. You need to do something. What? What do you do with it? What do you do with what's been given to you? And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like with what's been given to you. You better multiply, grow it. You better do something positive with it. Use it and use it for good. Got to use it well. Verse 19 in that same chapter, it tells us that the man comes back to his servants to settle accounts. And he calls them to give an account of how they had used their money. He, come here, how did you, what did you do with my 8 million? What did you do with my 4 million? What did you do with my 1.4 million dollars? So again, have you ever been given something, but how about this? And you just ended up using it incorrectly. You've ever been entrusted with something and... You just used it wrong. You just, you wasted your time. You've been given time and you didn't use it wisely. Am I speaking to someone? You just use it incorrectly. You just don't know how to use it. And have you considered this, that did you use it but, but ended up doing more wrong than you did right with it? You've ever been handed something that you've done more wrong than right? More bad than you did good? And I believe this, that there are things in life, and I want us all to hear this. I believe this, that there are things that have been given to you. You should write that. There are things that have been allowed to you, and there are things that you have caused upon yourself. Should I repeat that or you got it? There are things that have been given to you. There are things that have been allowed to happen to you. And then there are things that you have caused upon yourself. Can I get an amen? amen. But with this said, for those who are in Christ, very important in this sentence is this. Those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ, I do believe also in what Paul writes in Romans 8, 28 through 30. I'm going to read this to you. It's a very popular verse. Some, uh, some that we've taught on here on, on, on numerous times, and Paul writes this, and we know that all things, everyone say all things. We know that all things work together for good. Please listen to this. All things work together for good, but it's to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So <clears throat> I've been praying because I, I shared in 930 Huddle that I've been hearing for weeks now whether up close or from a distance, I've been hearing that many people, and they're speaking about heavy burdens, burdens that they're carrying. There's people with heavy burdens, whether it's in my family, whether it's in this family, um, whether it's friends, whether I'm in, in a supermarket line, whatever it is, there's people that are carrying heavy burdens. And, and some of the things that I've heard and some of the things that are, have been described, I could tell you, are very painful. How many of you can relate to pain in your life? Wow, almost all of you. Good, I know I'm preaching them to the right people. Got a little scared there for the first five minutes of this message, but now I'm feeling good. 
Everyone here can relate to pain in their lives. Now, your pain may be different than the pain of a Christian in, we said in 930 in Iran. But it's still your pain. It's still what you're going through. It's still what you're carrying. And, and, and this is kind of where I want to go because, because my theology is this. Here we go. Ready? You're going to get into a little bit of theology here for a moment. My, my theology is this. That the pain that people are carrying in Christ falls under the category of all things. I truly believe that. I'll read the verse again to you. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So I believe that all pain fits under the category of all things. So I could use all pain and use it in all things. And I could say something like this. All pain works together for good to those who love God. How many of you can relate to pain? And then I come at you and I say, Paul says that all things, like all pain, works together for good. Have you ever been handed something like pain and you just don't know how to use it? Or have you ever been handed something like pain and you just used it incorrectly? Have you ever been handed something like pain and you don't even know what it's for? The pain was actually to get your marriage, not to get divorced. The pain was actually so that, and the whole time you thought that the pain was to separate you more, but the pain was God using it to unite you more. And, and that's just one example. Have you ever, see, I mean, this is so important because I know that when we talk about this, not everyone would want to hear this, and maybe you're hearing like, I don't want to hear this, but, but maybe pain has been given to you, and it's been given to you to work something so important in you. Everyone say in you. Yeah, it's been, and I believe this, that pain has been given to work something in you, but not just in you. Number two, to work something for you. In you and for you are two different things, and number three, to work something through you. And I believe that pain in our lives has been given to us for those three things. To work something in us, to work something for us, and to work something through us. And could the pain be something that has been allowed or has been given to you to do a greater work? How many of you are like, I want to do a greater work? Jesus promised that greater works than he I will do. And greater works than these you will do. I want to fulfill that statement in my life. Greater works. And he says, awesome. I'm going to give you some pain. And that's not what I thought. I thought I wanted to, I wanted to go to a, to a funeral site and resurrect a dead person. And he's like, no, I'm going to give you pain. I mean, just the way God works with us. In us and for us and through us. Your pain is not necessarily bad. Okay. Could it be that it's to do a greater work? I want to do a greater work. A greater work, a greater work what? A greater work in you, a greater work for you, and a greater work through you. And I, and I wrote this down. We're called to do community. We say the word family a lot here. We say the word gathering, and we choose those words um, specifically, and we, and we believe in those words deeply. And, and we're called to do those kind of things here. Everything that is happening to us, can be used through us, and, and I believe this, even if it serves a purpose in someone else's life. 
So we, as we speak about community, family, gathering, how about what is happening is because it's serving a purpose. And it's serving a purpose specifically, not just for me, but because God loves the people I do life with, it also serves a purpose in them. Wow. That's pretty humbling because it's, what, what is that? God's like, get over yourself. It's, it's also about someone else. It's an amazing thing. It's like, but it's my pain, right? But I don't want to get too carried away in the message, but, but it's my pain. And he says, right, but watch how your pain brings forth their glory. So you're going you're gonna to mean, you mean to tell me that I'm going to have to carry this pain so that they can live in glory? And the Lord says, isn't the gospel beautiful? That you get to share in something that I, that I lived and I walk in? We'll get into that. You'll get that revelation. It serves a purpose. And, and we know the phrase and we've heard the phrase. I think Jane, Jane, is it Jane, Jane, Jane Fonda? Is that the aerobic woman from the 80s? <laughs> Jane Fonda, if you're an 80s child like I am, you were traumatized because she, you know, she, she, um, aerobics was very popular in the 80s. So, you know, you walked into your living room and you had all the ladies in the house. And one. Two, and it was just a Well, Jane Fonda was, uh, 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 was known. I can't believe I just did that. But Jane Fonda was known for saying that. And I think after Rocky and the movies of Rocky kind of uh, took it from her. But it's your pain, right? No, sorry, no pain, no gain. You've heard that? And I think she used to say, come on, no pain, no gain. She used to say it as she was doing aerobics. And you were like, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And then I think Mickey was training Rocky one day. I don't know if it was to fight the Russian. I don't know if we have a Rocky fan here. And he was going to fight the Russian. And Mickey had to tell him, come on, Rocky. No pain, no gain, Rocky. And Rocky was going into the ring. And he had to listen to Mickey's ears. No pain, no gain, no pain. No. I have to go through this pain to gain. But how about in the Christian walk, it's not just about no pain, no gain. But maybe the Lord has given us a new phrase where it's your pain, their gain. So now we're training and we're saying, my pain, Miguel's gain. My pain, Tito's gain. My pain, Charlene's gain. Because my pain is not just for me to gain access, but my pain is also so that my brothers and my sisters and those who follow and those who I'm with and those who I'm gathered with, it's also their glory. It's also their gain. They're going to also grow from me. That's a crazy way of thinking. Just the word of God and the things that it teaches. So I ask, have you ever been handed something and specifically today, something like pain, and you don't know what to do with it. You have this pain. You don't know how to use it. Or maybe you do. You're like, I know how to use it. Yes. But this pain you carry, maybe you're not using it to the best of its ability. You have pain in your life? Maybe this is for the person that's going to have pain starting tomorrow. Because I'm not going to front here and say, you came to Christ, and when you come to Christ, I promise you, there's no more pain. That is a foolish lie. That is a feel-good gospel that is sugar-coated, and that is not the truth. You tell Jesus on the cross, the Messiah, who left glory, like, oh, Christianity is just always good, and he's there, and he can't even recognize him. What kind of false gospel is that? You might wake up tomorrow, and you might have the most disastrous phone call. You might have the most disastrous thing happen to you, or you might not. But it can happen to anyone at any moment. Our, our world could just flip inside out, upside down, however you want to say it. But, but, but do you, when, when you look and when you have this pain, maybe you're currently in it. Maybe it served its purpose, and this is an encouragement to you. Or maybe this is for the one that is going to go through it. You have this pain, and maybe you don't know how to use it. Or maybe you, you know what it's 
what it is, and, and you got to use it to the best of its ability. And I'm here to tell you today, this right here, and here's the title of the message. Please write this down. God's calling us for this right here. Three words. Use your pain. That's your calling in life right now. you got to use your pain. Can you imagine meeting, like let's say we get together, we get some coffee or something, and you tell me about everything you're going through, and you're crying, and you're weeping, and, and I don't say nothing. I just look at you in the eyes, and when you're done, I look at you and says. Use your pain. That's some crazy advice. Use your pain. Look at someone and just tell them that. Use your pain. Use your pain. You know what I like about this? Because um, it's going to be one of those phrases that weeks, months, years down the line, something's going to happen around your house, and you're going to look at someone and you're just going to say, use your pain. You're going to encourage each other with this phrase. And listen, I get it. I get it. When we talk about this pain, we want it to disappear. I thought I would get at least one amen there. When you talk about pain, you want it to disappear. You don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. Maybe when you think about, when you think about pain, it feels like it's too heavy for you to carry. You don't know how much longer you can deal with it. Maybe you're saying, I don't know why God is allowing this. Come on, pain. Maybe you, you've, because of this pain, you have to fight bitterness in your life, and, and you've had to fight anger in your life. Maybe some of this pain has caused bitterness and anger towards yourself. Maybe it's caused bitterness and anger towards someone else. The most important, maybe it's called bitterness and anger towards God. I get it. Man, you're just like, I don't want this. But have you considered that your pain actually serves a greater purpose? That all things, and that includes all pains. I told Nancy I was preaching about her today. No, I'm just playing. Just kidding, Lord. She goes, you could preach about me all you want because I'm going to be with the kids tomorrow. I said, good. I have a good message tomorrow. She actually, we actually that, that, that is true. I said that. She said that, but didn't say she was a pain. I'm sure I'm more of the pain. I'm sure of it. There is no question about it. Now, have you considered that your pain serves a greater purpose? That all things, and that includes all pains, work together for good. Think about that for one moment. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you guys know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Her husband, they were in the jungles of Ecuador. If you, ever, if you want to watch a great movie, and, and I'm not, I don't come up here and recommend movies or series or, or things to watch, but I will say this one, End of the Spear, great movie. End of the Spear is about a, a group of um, missionaries and their wives and their children that moved uh, to the jungles of Ecuador, and they went, I think it was the Wadini tribe, and they took the gospel, they started flying a yellow, a yellow plane around there and dropping things with a rope. It's a great movie, great story, it's a true story. And they make connections and whatever, whatever. One of the Indians, uh, sorry, one of the natives began to um, lie about something and they got aggressive and they ended up killing all of these missionaries. So the wives and the children were waiting and waiting for them to get home and they never showed up. Next thing you know, they did, uh, they did a, um, a whole uh, uh, rescue, uh, a whole rescue thing. The United States got involved, I think, and they found the plane and eventually I think they, they found some of the bodies or whatever. But Elizabeth Elliot had to deal now with being a widow, with mothering children, living in the jungles of, jungles of Ecuador that God called her to with her husband and these other Christian families. And now all our men are gone. Our husbands got killed for the gospel. Pain. What do you want me to do now, God? If you're God and you brought us to the jungles to preach the gospel and save this native um, primitive tribe, why then would you kill my husband? Do you know what's crazy about this? The husbands planted the seed, but do you know who eventually walked into that jungle and won the whole entire um, 
um, primitive tribe to the gospel, you'll never guess who. If you haven't seen the movie, if you've seen it, who was it? Their children, when they grew up, they heard the stories about their father. They grew up in the jungles of Ecuador. They said, we're going to finish off what our parents started. And the children now walked into the jungles that their own fathers got killed in, took the gospel. One of them looked at the same man that put the spear into one of his fathers, won him to Jesus. Now they travel all around the world preaching their story. And that man who killed his father has become a father to him and a grandfather to his children. You tell me if that's not the complete story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of you would go in there because you're filled with such worldly malice that you'll go in there guns blazing and you'll probably kill the person that killed your daddy. But these people were filled with so much love, they said, I'm going to kill them with love, not guns blazing. And they took the gospel and love, the Bible says what, conquers all things. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going off. So Elizabeth Elliot, sorry, I was not supposed to do that. Elizabeth Elliot is quoted for saying this. I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary. Elizabeth Elliot has weight when she says this. To all of us, in my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Hey, Use your pain. Amen? Verse 28, we, we've, we've exhausted a little bit, but the next verse is very important as well. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our God knows us. Amen? He has purposed. He has purposed purpose in us and for us and he has this purpose through us that we would be what what is Romans 8 29 saying the whole purpose of this is that we would be conformed to the image of his son to the image of Christ so I wrote this bold in my notes and I want you to write this in your notes if all the pain endured is to make us more like Christ then all the pain endured is worth it amen I know you don't want to hear that but if all the pain is to make me more like him and make me more into his image, then it's worth it. Verse 30, he says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. I like this part. And whom he justified, these he also, he doesn't leave them hanging. He does not leave them hanging. God does not leave them hanging. He also, these he also glorified. Ephesians 1.4 tells us to back up even what Paul is saying in Romans 8.30. Uh, Ephesians 1.4 tells us that he knows us and he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. So, so, so this is so important, Romans 8, 28 through 30, because so he's called us and he has justified us. And all of this calling and justification in our lives is serving for a purpose. And it says that these same individuals in which he's calling and which he's justifying, the purpose it's serving is that these he's also glorifying. Can I, I'm going to be very honest with you. Listen to me for a moment. There is not one thing that has happened to us or that can happen to us that is not understood by God. You should know that. So when, you, when, the, when, the, when the phone call rings or when the situation happens or you get into a little bumper accident in the Palmetto or whatever it is, you can recognize that there is not, there's nothing in your life that is not understood by God. None of it is a challenge to his sovereignty. None of it is a challenge to his knowledge. 
And I'm reminding you that now one drop of your pain draws his will off path. Oh, no, my brother, my, my son, my daughter's going through pain. This kind of messes up my will for their life. No, it doesn't. Now one drop of your pain draws his will off path. But if we begin to use our pain and we begin to use it for his purpose, I wrote this down because this is what I felt in my spirit. We then may begin to understand the beauty of Christ leaving heaven's glory in order to clothe us in glory. It took Jesus what? It took Jesus using his pain. Jesus used his pain so that it would work together for good and that we now would inherit such glory. The sons and daughters can inherit such glory because our older brethren experience such pain. The firstborn, who is Jesus, he he endured such pain so that the following sons and daughters that come from him could endure and could inherit such glory. So through one man's pain, we now enter into a magnificent glory. So, so this is crazy. So if we can inherit glory from his pain, think about this for a moment. And here's a question. Then ask yourself this. Are we called to honor the inheritance of our pain so that another can receive glory from it? If, if, if Christ endured his pain so that I could inherit glory, am I called to inherit my pain so that I could find joy in someone receiving glory from that? I think about, I think about Elliot and Saint and these guys who are in heaven because they got speared by the native tribes in the jungles of Ecuador and they're in the glory of the Father and they're in the glory of Christ. They're in the throne room and the Lord opens up the spear of heaven or the sphere of heaven and he says, I want you to see what's happening with the Wadoni tribe some 20 years later. And they look down and for a moment there, God brings two elements, the spiritual world and into the physical world. And they look down and say, wait a minute, that looks like my son. And he goes, it is. He's about 20 years old right now. And can you imagine that, wait a minute, you mean that through my pain, through the spearing of the native tribe, my sons are walking now in glory and that whole tribe is coming to know Jesus? Yeah. Then you know what that man probably did? You know what those men probably did? They probably turned their back from earth for a moment and they looked back at the throne and they got on their knees and they said, then all of my pain was worth it if my sons are walking in glory. That's just putting it into a reality perspective here. Could it be that we just don't live for the glory? We always talk about that, living glory, living glory. Imagine if we start changing the phrase here. We don't just live for the glory, but we also live for the pain. How are you doing today? How's your pain? Living in it? Yeah. You conquering it? You winning? I'm winning in pain. That should be our frame, man. Win. Let's make a shirt, winning in pain. Lou, let's make a shirt, man. Winning in pain. You know, to, to mess up all the Christian ideology of what's out there. Yeah. Winning in pain. We're just walking around with a big pain in our shirt. But it, there's a victory in it. Winning in it, though. I'm winning in pain. And we're, we're using our pain. Use your pain. Use your pain. Win in pain. And could it be that we're also called to live in the pain? Why? Because it introduces such glory. Use your pain. I'm going to give you another quote. Tim, Tim um, Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I might call him twice, but listen to this. It says, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed. He was clothed and he was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be set free. We could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering comes into your life 
will only make you great. It's a lump of coal under pressure. It becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. <laughs> Have you been able to use it to the best of its ability? What am I talking about? Pain. Have you been able to use it to the best of its ability? Do you know what the pain that you carry is for? Do you know how to use it? Have you used your pain to bring more good than evil, more right than wrong? If you've made mistakes, it's understood. We have the sinful nature that sometimes we feed over the spirit and it causes a great mess and it causes pain in our lives. But I want you to know this, ready? If, if you cause the mess because of your pain, if you cause a mess in the midst of this pain and you have all this pain, I want you to know this, ready? There is space for grace. That's the next shirt. I'm, I'm on a roll, man. There's, a spa there's space for grace. Winning in pain, and the back says, and there's space for grace. I believe pain and grace goes together. There's also space to repent. There's space to grace. There's space to repentance. Scripture reminds us, listen to this, that our God is a redeemer, and our redeemer lives. We even sing the song. Matthew 3, 8 tells us, therefore, we, what, we bear fruits worthy of repentance. You want to know if someone's really repented? It's not because they say it. It's because they show it. They bear fruits worthy of repentance. Matthew, that's Matthew 3, 8. He alone is able to redeem your pain. The number one painkiller. Third shirt. Third shirt. Third shirt. The number one painkiller. It's not Advil. It's not Tylenol, Ibuprofen, Motrin. No, it's not. Jesus, man. Some of you guys are ODing on the Motrin, on the, on the whatever, and Jesus like, yo, I'm not going to take it away. Because I want to use it for something glorious. Let me be the, let me be the remedy. All right. He alone can redeem us from our pain, and we could use it for his glory. And sometimes the truth is there's no answers to your pain. You've ever shared someone the, the, your pain, and they just stare at you, and they're like, let's pray. And you're like, I thought you were going to, like, sprinkle oil on me or something, pray over me, like, or, like, gold dust, like, nothing that, none of that happens here? And you're just like, no, I don't know what to say. Let's, that, sorry, I don't have no words. Let's pray. Sometimes we don't have the end. Like, what do I tell a, a mom who lost her child? God's not going to bring that child back. That's the reality of it. I know that, that was like, wow, you went really deep right there. But that's the reality. I have friends that have lost their children that they found them floating on a pool, and they're Christians, and they decided to continue to serve the Lord. So when I went to her funeral, what, 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 what did you tell her? Nothing. I hugged her, and I said, I value you, how you stand for Jesus in the midst of pain. What do you tell? Some of your pains has, we have no answers to. In earthly remedies. But the consolation, is that the right word? The consolation of your soul? We have that answer. It's like the man who was in pain on the gate of beautiful says, give me money, give me money. And Peter, uh, Peter and John are like, I don't got a remedy for you. I don't got to offer you. I bet you anything, they had silver and gold in their pockets. I bet you anything they did. But he, they're like, that's not the answer. I don't have the answer for you. But I do have Jesus. Get up and let's walk. I, I don't know. You know, did you, did you ever think about that in this story? Him getting up and walking does not necessarily mean that he puts money in his pocket. 
Because the answer was not the money he was asking for. There was a consolation of the soul. I got Jesus. Now get up and walk with me. Okay, let's. So he alone can redeem our pain and we use it for his glory. And sometimes, yes, there is no answers to pain. And Jesus does crazy things like in Matthew 5.45. If you're taking notes, you could go ahead and study that. But in Matthew 5.45, Jesus reminds us of something like this. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. How many of you pray like, God, why did you allow them? And look what I'm going through. And then your scripture is like, because he reigns on those who are just and unjust. The sun comes out on the evil and on the good. Like, sometimes things just happen. And the pain that you're called to endure with is unbearable. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you, some of you could relate to unbearable pain. I want you to know this. Until you make yourself certain that God is for you and with you, that pain will always be unbearable. But you have to train your mind, say, no, I'm going to start to be certain in this, that God is for me and God is with me. What does that mean? That the fire is lit up, but Jesus starts to dance with you in fire. It does not mean that the fire goes down. It just means that you're enjoying his presence and the dance in the fire. Sometimes we pray wrong. We pray, Lord, turn off the fire, when the reality is, Lord, let me just enjoy the dance in the fire. Lord, the doctors just gave me this bad news. I know that you're able to heal me. But if that's not the purpose, allow me at least to dance in this condition with you. Have you ever looked at pain like that? <laughs> so I encourage you that there is a purpose. So, so because there's purpose, what, what's the next thing I'm going to say to you? There's purpose. So use your pain because your pain serves a purpose. Amen? I'm trying to decide if I should save this or if I should go. Um, if you've been with the Lord for, for any moment of time or some time, you've probably learned or you've studied the life of Job. How many of you have read the story of Job? It's got its own book in the Bible. Okay? It's got about 42 chapters in it. The story of Job is a very interesting story. I'm not going to get into it. It's too many chapters. But in chapter 1, Job is described as a man who was blameless. Can you imagine being described as a man who was blameless, a man who was upright, one who feared God and shunned evil? He was blessed with a big family, it says. He had great possessions. It says he had seven sons and he had three daughters. If you could do the math, that's about ten children. His possessions were seven. Listen to this, guys, because back then it was about what you owned, like, like land and sheep. and ox. So, so it says his possessions were 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep, guys. That's a lot of trade. That's a lot of money off stuff that sheep produces. There's 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. There's 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. But in that same chapter, there's a, something that happens. Satan, the accuser, is introduced. And he comes before the presence of the Lord. And they ha start having dialogue. Hey, I'm just walking around and I'm bored. And the Lord does something surprisingly. When you read it, it might even uh, seem appalling to you. He tells Satan, the accuser, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. This is Job chapter 1, verse 8. He's a blameless and he's an upright man. But look what he says next. He's one who fears God and he shuns evil. <laughs> Did you just hear what I just read? 
The, God just told Satan the accuser, go mess with Job. Can you imagine God speaks so highly of you that he even allows Satan himself to oppress you because he is so certain about who you are? You guys are like, I want to meet David when I get to heaven. I want to meet Jacob when I get to heaven. You should go run to Job. He's the only person in the Bible other than Peter, very important, other than Peter, that the Lord says, Satan has asked for you. And I said, yeah. One time Peter came to Jesus. Jesus says, Satan has asked you to sift you as wheat, and I'm going to allow him to do it. But when he's done with you, strengthen your brothers. Peter and Job are the only two people that God's like, yeah, go get them. That's powerful. The Lord tells him you can do whatever you want with Job and you can do whatever you want with his children, with his possessions. There's one thing you can't do. You can't take his life. Have you ever thought about that? Why would the Lord tell Satan, the accuser, you can do whatever you want, but you can't take his life? I'll tell you why. Because scripture says something very important. Scripture says that the Lord is the author and the finisher of your life. And if he allows Satan to do that, then he's taking the role that it belongs to him. He says, you can do whatever you want, but you can't take away someone's life. I'm the one that breathes life and I'm the one that takes away life. See, he's allowing pain in Joseph's life. I need you all to listen to this because I won't get into all of it because I'm going to wrap it up, but, but I will say this. Ready? He's allowing pain into Job's life, but did you notice he's not allowing death? He's allowing pain in your life, but it doesn't mean you're going to die. The Lord is the author and the finisher. He determines the day of our passing, not Satan, not the accuser. So, at the end of his pain, Job, I'm not sure if, or I shouldn't say at the end of his pain. I'm going to correct that. Okay? It's better said this way. On the other half, on the other side of pain, I'm not sure Job really ever got out of his pain. Because think about this. How do you, if you study the life of Job, he lost 10 children. Forget about his mansion. Forget about his camels and his sheep that were killed. Forget about his, his bank account went to zero. I think the thing that hurt him the most was 10 children are dead. If you're a parent, that has to be the deepest thing that cut him. Because money can't bring that back. So I think that pain stayed with Job forever. I lost 10 children. The heck with my camels. The heck with my sheep. The heck with my mansion. I just lost my sons and my daughters. So I believe that. But then you think about this and you say this. Ready? Thousands of years later, here we are and we're still speaking about Job's pain. And how this pain brought great purpose. And how this pain brought great glory. And here we are, Job's in glory. The Lord gives him an opening. He says, what? I want you to see how that church right there is speaking about your pain. And Job's in heaven. He's like, what? You know what? It was all worth it. If they could live in the glory of my pain, it was all worth it. Use your pain. He allows pain, but not death. Because Christ... Our pain, it does the opposite. It brings life. How many of you know that? Your pain brings life. I'm going to read a scripture real fast. And if you're taking notes, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. How many of you have read this before? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Ready? What is this, what is this treasure? What is this treasure? What is the excellence of the power of God? Ready? Verse 8 says it. 
We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that life that Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul's like, man, we're dying for the gospel because they were. When Paul's writing this, they're being heavily persecuted. But our death and our persecution is for your great honor and glory that you would walk in the riches of God. So I'll wrap it up with this and the team could come up. Here's what we see at the, remember Job? Loses everything. Imagine the pain he went through. So what happens at the end of Job's life? I'll read these passages. At the end of Job's life, if you want to turn to chapter 42, you can. If not, it'll come up on the screen. But write this down in your notes. At the end, not at the end of his life, forgive me. At the end of the story, this is what we see. Job 42, 1 says, so Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. I love that. Job's like, what do I know before your presence? Things far too wonderful for me. For you said, guys, this is a man who lost everything, 10 children, and everything that he owns. For you said, listen, and I will speak, and I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And I only heard about you before. But now, I, I love this revelation in Job's life. I've heard, how many of you, are living in the faith, but all you're living in is, is in what you've heard. But Job went past the hearing, and he went to the scene. He says, I've only heard about you all my life. But you know what it took in Job's life? Don't be scared. Pain. And on the other end of pain, he now says, I've heard about you all my life. But because of pain... Now I see you. You know, I could hear about my beloved all I want. But the true man, I want to see her. You know, when I go on a trip like that, you know, and I do FaceTime and stuff like that, I'm just going to get very personal. Forgive me. I don't care. But, but you know, I, I hear you. But I just want to get home. Because I just want to see you now. It's a place of intimacy where it gets past the hearing. And it begins to enter into the, I don't just hear now. This stuff becomes part of my seeing now. It's, it, it's, it runs deeper in who I am. And Job makes this confession on the other side of pain after losing 10 children. I've only heard about you before. But now I have seen you with not her eyes, not my leader's eyes, not my mentor's eyes, not pastor's eyes, not so-and-so's eyes. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. It's become personal, God. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Because why? Show fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance. 
You know what he says? You know what it says in verse 10, 11, and 12? Here it is. When Job prayed, this is amazing, ready? If you study the life of Job, his three friends were accusing him and accusing him. and accu- They were bad friends to have during this time. But yet they came to him to accuse him. And you know what Job does at the end where he's healed through pain? It says Job prays for his friends, verse 10. And the Lord restores his fortunes. In fact, look what happens with Job now. The Lord gives him, gives him twice as much as before. All his brothers and sisters and former, 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 former friends, because they all left him. You know those people that leave you when you're in pain? All right, just wanted to know if you knew about them. All right. So all his brothers and sisters and former friends, a true friend will stick close to you like a brother, even in the midst of the pain. They came and they feasted with him in his home and they consoled him and they comforted him because of all the trials. Oh, now, (laughs) now because I've been blessed with double, you want to have a party now with me. Each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job. Listen to this. The The Lord blessed Job. When? When did the Lord bless him? On the... Well, you guys say it. Is it... On the latter days? Oh, we're not there. Oh, okay, because my translation is different. Forgive me. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life. It says even more in the beginning. For now, instead of having 7,000, he has 14,000 sheep. Instead of 3,000 camels, he has 6,000 camels. Instead of 1,000 oxen or, or 500, whatever it was, he has 1,000. And 1,000 female donkeys. I, I believe this, and, and, and this is, I feel like it's the best place to end because Job is blessed in the second half of his life. How about if I tell you this, ready? I believe that the Lord is going to bless you the second half of your life. Some of you are like, okay, if I'm going to live when, until 70 that means I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit old. I lost it. This has nothing to do with earth. I believe the story of Job is more about the kingdom of heaven than it is about the kingdom of earth. Job was blessed more in the second half of his life. And you automatically thought that that was from 35 years old on. That must be the second half of my life if I'm going to live to 70-something. Job was blessed more double on the second half of his life. And I believe that the Lord is going to bless me and he's going to bless you more on the second half of your life uh, in the pain today because I believe what Revelation chapter 21 says and I believe Revelation 21 is the second half of our life. I believe Revelation 21 has everything to do with what's happening with Job because he says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Here is the man. He sees a vision and he sees the old earth and he sees heaven as we know it and everything is destroyed and a new earth comes and a new heaven falls and a new Jerusalem comes down and he writes this the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and verse 4 says and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death no more sorrow no more crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away Welcome to the second half of your life. (laughs) 
You could live to 110 years old on earth and you're still in the first half of your life. But the second half, the eternal half, the one that never ends, it's when you enter into the glory of the Lord and the Lord looks at you and says, you won in the pain. Man, you won in the pain. And now I'm going to wipe every tear. I'm going to take away every sorrow and I'm going to take away every pain. Enter into the glory of the Father. And there, there you'll say, man, my pain was worth it second half of my life the second half stand with me here if you can the second half I want you to close your eyes I'll finish the message another day I promise we'll continue on this next week and so on and so forth but I want you real quick to examine your heart examine your life Because one of my points that I was going to eventually get into was this. I do not believe that the Lord has purpose for us to suffer aimlessly. I believe your suffering has a great purpose. And it will end. Your pain will end. But right now on earth, you're called to use it. But it's going to end. When is it going to end? When I'm 80? When I'm 50? In a year from now? It's going to end in the moment where there is no beginning and no end in the moment where eternity resides in that moment every one of your pains will be gone and I promise you this when we see each other in the glory and we start to hug my brother come here with me because man come here I'm going to grab my brother in glory stand up here with me and we're going to be in his presence we'll probably be on our knees and crying together and just we're here Mike We're in the throne room, brother. Look at the feet of Jesus. Look at the sounds and the thunderings and the lightning. Look at the angels. Look at the the host and the thrones. This is the stuff that I've been telling you about in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Revelation. Chapter 4, this is it. We're here. And at that moment, we're going to look at each other in glory. You're going to be clothed in righteousness and in glory. You're going to display the full image of Christ and so am I. I'm going to look like you and you're going to look like me. Though we're going to look different, we're going to look the same in Christ. And we're going to look like Christ and we're going to look at each other. And I believe we're going to hug. And we're going to say all the pain on planet earth was worth it. Because we stand before the one who takes away our pain. Our pain today is for their glory. Our pain today is so that maybe we could come to the place where Job got to and he says, I've heard about you all my life, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And I wouldn't want that pain to go anywhere because when I start to learn how to use it right, when I start to learn how to use that pain correct, correctly, when I start to learn how to use what's been handed to me, then I'll go past all the things I've heard about you. And I'll enter into a place of intimacy of love that now I've seen it with my own eyes. Church, I believe this for your life. It's time that you know how to begin to use your pain so that that way you could walk into greater glories and you could say things like what Job says. It's no longer just about hearing you. It's now about intimate things like seeing you. Thank you for my pain. Come on, use your pain and let's use it wisely. Let's use it right. For the glory of the Lord. How many of you could say amen? Come on.
Yes, Lord.